All right, well, next week um, we're going to be kicking off our summer series, uh, just preaching through the book of Proverbs. So, uh, yeah, there is a bit of a degree of difficulty for preaching through that book in particular, but we're really looking forward to, um, man, just seeing, like, uh, Jesus and the gospel, like, through, like, the practical wisdom of that book. So, but before we jump into uh, next week, uh, we're going to do something a little bit unique uh, this, uh, this week. I don't think we've ever done anything like this before, but, um, but uh, we're going to spend one week uh, here talking about um, spe- some specific ways um, for what it means to grow in the gospel, some specific ways for what it means to grow in the gospel. So, um, so the way that we're going to be doing that is talking about uh, this morning about like the concept of, um, of source idols. Source idols. So what do I mean when I say source idols? So is that some kind of like weird religious jargon or something like that? So what I mean is that if you came up with a systematic theology about what the Bible says about sin throughout the whole Bible, um, one of the things that you'd come up with was the idea of source idols. So I'm going to get a little nerdy here, so buckle up. Okay, I'm just a little nerdy. All right. So, um, But in systematic theology, what you do is you go through the whole Bible and you just... Uh, look at a particular subject and, like, what does the Bible say throughout the entire Bible about, like, um, a particular subject? And then, like, you take out all those things and you harmonize, like, what it says. And then, like, and that's your systematic theology about that subject. So, um, so if you do that with the topic of sin, one of the big picture things that you'll come up with is source idols. So source idols are, in essence, a systematic theology about sin. So, and the four main source idols that we're going to be talking about this morning are like on the on your little like thing that got handed out to you right now: comfort, approval, control, and power. Comfort, approval, control, and power. So, and they're refer, often referred to as source idols uh, because they're often the source of what influences our thoughts, our actions, and our motivations, as opposed to letting the gospel do those things. So they're often the source of what influences our thoughts, our actions, and our motivations, as opposed to like letting the gospel do those things. So this is kind of deep-level stuff here on Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. So, so we're going to be having uh, four people come on up here, um, and each person is going to be talking just for a few minutes about one of those source idols that they particularly, they've uh, particularly struggled with. Um, um, they're going to be talking about how they've struggled with it, but most importantly, um, they're going to be talking about like how remembering and believing the gospel is their pathway to freedom out of those things. So our hope this morning uh, is that um, this will be a time of diagnosis of sorts, um, just for all of us when it comes to understanding yourself and your heart and your motives. But most importantly, our desire is that this will be a time of hope for you that you'll see the gospel as good news in really practical ways in the everyday things of life. So uh, we printed off that little chart for you, um, and we gave that to you not because we don't believe in PowerPoint, um, but uh, we just really wanted to have that be something that you could take home with you and just really uh, just process through and think about and pray about, like in the aftermath of hearing this this morning. So first off, uh, we're going to have Steph Burchart come on up, and she's going to be talking a little bit about comfort and what that's looked like for her in her life. Good morning, everyone. Uh, For those of you who I haven't met, like Aaron said, my name is Steph. Um, I'm a small group leader here with my husband, Andy. We have an 18-month-old daughter whose name is Ruby, and since she's been born, I've been a stay-at-home mom. Um, This morning, I'm going to be sharing about my comfort idol. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I love comfort. 
I enjoy days where responsibilities are minimal, and I'm free to choose how I spend my time and money without worries, and everything is convenient and easy. However, when a good thing becomes a God thing, that's where the trouble lies. Um, two years ago, when I was pregnant with Ruby, I was nauseous and throwing up through most of the pregnancy. Um, one of the ways that you can combat those feelings of nausea is to eat a little bit of a snack. Um, so instead of turning to God for comfort or praying that I would stop being so sick, I began turning to food for that Band-Aid of relief. Uh, don't get me wrong, it's good to eat um, and healthy to eat a couple extra calories when you're growing a human, uh, but the ways I went about that weren't healthy. Um, instead of packing lunches to be financially responsible, I would eat out every single day for lunch because it was one less stress to my day. And because I, would, um, and because I wouldn't want to walk that far, um, my snacks ended up being super greasy but delicious grilled cheese sandwiches from American Bombshell. Um, instead of going home after work and cooking a meal for Andy and myself, we would either eat a frozen pizza or go out for dinner. It just became easy for me to use my pregnancy as an excuse and to overindulge and eat foods that were temporarily ease my discomfort. Um, when people struggle with the comfort idol, a couple of things that they crave are lack of stress and freedom. Uh, once I had Ruby, my pregnancy discomforts were quickly replaced with a mother of a newborn discomforts. Having a baby is an incredible moment in your life, but I was dealing with a lot of emotions, a lot of responsibility, and very little sleep. I was so, it was so easy for me uh, to just eat some candy quick, um, so I would get that little sugar buzz as a quick fix. It wasn't until Ruby was about four months old that I became aware of my pattern of worshiping comfort um, because of the source idol materials that we went through at the marriage seminar. The issue with comfort is loving our temporary life here on earth more than our eternal life. When Jesus came to this earth, he never made us the promise that life would be easy or comfortable. However, he made us an even better promise that if we follow him, he has something so much better for us now and for eternity. Uh, during the sanctification process, which is us becoming more like Jesus, he helps us with our desire to be good stewards of what we've been given. Jesus set aside all of his comfort for us, and as we grow into love him, uh, our heart changes, and so, does, so do our desires. It changes the way we approach our health, finances, and time to further his kingdom while we're here on earth. My habits of eating out and not making healthy choices were just outward symptoms of the problems that were going on in my heart. The real issue is my desire to create my own kingdom here on earth um, that's comfortable with little stress. My ideal kingdom is one where I can eat whatever I want, get 12 hours of uninterrupted sleep, and Ruby listens to the things I say on the first time. <laughs> But God is teaching me to care about a kingdom that is so much greater than that. And praise the Lord, because when I say it out loud, my kingdom is really lame. Um, God's kingdom is full of love. Um, God's kingdom is selfless. And God's kingdom is generous. All of these facts were proven by Jesus selflessly living his or leaving his comfortable kingdom to live an uncomfortable and selfless life, to suffer an uncomfortable death, only to share his generous inheritance with people that are sinners. I've had to ask God for forgiveness in my sin of being selfish, but I can praise him that his promise of what is to come is even better than the kingdom I've built for myself. To counteract some of my habits in my life, I've had to be prayerful in having God remind me of my purpose here on earth. And as a mom, I often fall into the trap of just trying to survive the day instead of being intentional to have my non-Christian friends know Jesus and make disciples. 
I've also had to ask believers to walk beside me in changing some of the habits that I formed as my result of my love for comfort. This means open conversations about eating habits and finances with people that I trust so they can point me back to being a good steward of what God has given me. This is a constant struggle and something that isn't easily fixed. I'm still a work in progress, but I'm thankful for God's grace and the truth that my ultimate comfort and joy come from him. So up next, we will be hearing from Aaron about approval. All right, so I'll be talking about approval for just a bit. Um, So like I said, my name is Aaron, and I really want you to like me, and I really want you to approve of me. And the reason I want you to like me and approve of me is because your approval of me and your approval of my decisions and your approval of my life in general is what I'm tempted to believe that makes me val- that's what makes me valuable and that's what keeps my world in orbit. In hindsight, I have always been tempted to believe this. This is why even though I was really athletic, I barely went out for any sports growing up because um, what if what if I screwed up on the field and like and the people in the stands would laugh at me or my teammates would get really angry at me? I would lose their approval and my world would fly out of orbit. I was tempted to believe that their approval is what made me valuable. This is why at school, like I was so nervous to do something as simple as get up and sharpen the sharpen my pencil because what if I got up and everybody looked at me and they pointed out something about me and made fun of me. Like I would lose their approval and my world would just fly out of orbit. I was tempted to believe that their approval is what made me valuable. This is why I couldn't even walk into a grocery store by myself growing up. Because what if someone, even a stranger, saw me alone by myself and they would think I was a loser who didn't have any friends? Like, I would lose their approval and my world would just fly out of orbit. Like, I was tempted to believe that the approval, even that of strangers is what made me valuable. This is why I stayed in my dorm room for, by myself for almost my entire freshman year of college because, to me, making friends was about win- gaining the approval of others, and I just wasn't good at that. I mean, first of all, that's a really dysfunctional understanding of friendship. Okay? But I was tempted to believe that the approval from friends is what made me valuable. This is why the first few years of being married to Becky, I was intensely fearful of losing her approval. And guess what? Um, your wife, I mean, your spouse, like, knows you better than anybody else. And therefore, you are never going to have 100% of their approval at all times. It just doesn't happen. So when Becky didn't approve of me, I would go in this really, my thoughts would just go into this really dark place. Like, I am worthless, I suck, like, I just don't have value. My world would just fly out of orbit in those situations because I was tempted to believe that the approval of my wife is what made me valuable. That's why even today, as a pastor standing before you right now, I am tempted right now to let approval uh, influence what I share with you. 
So maybe I shouldn't be as vulnerable as, uh, maybe I shouldn't be too vulnerable because maybe you might think I'm too screwed up to be a pastor and maybe I would just lose your approval that way. However, on the other hand, um, in Christian circles, like uh, vulnerability is sometimes applauded and everything. So maybe I should be a little extra vulnerable so that like maybe you can just slow clap it out and just be like, wow, that Aaron, he is just really awesome. He's a great leader. And like, wow, I really approve of him. You know, so for me, I'm consistently tempted to have approval be the uninvited guest in any, any and every situation in my life. In hindsight, as I look back on tons of significant and insignificant moments in my life, I can see how approval has almost always been a part of the equation. So you ever seen that first uh, Christopher Nolan Batman movie where it's just like uh, Batman begins? And like, so at the end of the movie, the bad guy, Liam Neeson, he's talking to like uh, Bruce Wayne. And he's like, and he just, you know, he just tips his hand and just says like, you know, like, man, I'm part of the League of Shadows. And like the League of Shadows is this criminal mastermind group. And like the League of Shadows has secretly been behind the downfall of every civilization in the history of the world. And like they're behind everything. You know, and nobody knows it. It's like, uh, so approval is my league of shadows. Like, it's always been there in every situation, just secretly behind, like, what I do, why I do it, like, even what jobs I take, and things like that. So, then I've had to learn the hard way that the gospel is the only actual way out of it for me. I worship my way into approval, that's where I find my identity, my value, my worth. And I need to, I worship my way into that, and I need to worship my way out of it. The really practical question that I've learned uh, to ask myself is where do I find my ultimate sense, my ultimate source of approval? Where do I find my ultimate source of approval? Is it from people I'm leading? Is it from my friends or my job or my wife or from strangers? Or is it from Jesus in the gospel? So Jesus lived the perfect life that I was supposed to live, and he won all the approval from God that I ever need. So Matthew 3 like, says that God the Father said to Jesus, he looked at Jesus and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That's approval. Like, I approve of Jesus. So when I put my faith in Jesus, all that approval that Jesus had from the Father, he gave that to me. So Jesus won my approval from God for me so that when God the Father looks at me right now, Aaron Morrow, he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That's where my approval comes from. This means that through the gospel, I have freedom to live my life from approval and not for approval. This means I can love my wife instead of using her for approval. I can serve in my job and not use it for my approval and my identity. This means that I can hear criticism and feedback from people a lot better than I used to without feeling that I need to be defensive because my ultimate source of approval during that criticism and feedback, my ultimate source of approval isn't being threatened. This means that I can focus on doing hard and risky things in my job because someone's consequential praise or criticism doesn't make me valuable or not valuable. 
Like, God's approval of me through Christ is what makes me valuable. So even after all these years, um, I'm still growing with this. Um, I'm not a finished product, and sometimes I still feel like a mess. I just feel like a giraffe on ice, just learning how to walk and everything with it. But even when I feel like a mess, um, I know that the gospel is good news, and he's the reason my world doesn't need to fly out of orbit, because I can trust him to be the one who gives me my approval. So we're going to have Becky, my wife, my wife, come on up. So like Aaron said, my name is Becky, and I'm married to him. And he does have my stamp of approval, which is like a little source idle joke to start things out. Um, Anyway, we have three daughters. Leah is 12. She has braces. Maggie is nine. She has green glasses. And Gracie's seven, and she has spunky bangs, but she hasn't pulled back today, so you won't be able to tell. Um, If I could pick any three kids out of a crowd to be mine, I would absolutely pick them every single time. They are mostly a delight, and being their mom is literally one of the best things that's ever happened to me. But being a mom has also shown a spotlight on my heart idol of control like nobody's business. Um, as somebody who struggles with a hard idol of control, I, only, I feel like my life only has meaning and I only have worth if I'm able to get mastery over a certain area in my life. Um, and for me, and I'm not saying it because it's Mother's Day, but it's um, the peace and emotional health of my kids. A problem emotion for people who struggle with the hard idol of control is worry. But I want to let you in on a little insider tip. Um, I've been following Jesus for long enough to know that worry is a sin, but concern, that's just a little different. Um, You know, I know that I shouldn't say like, oh, I'm so worried about this, but I might just really be concerned. Like, um, and so when I change that word, it's like, oh, maybe I'm not having sin, but it's like, oh, no, really... When, um, when I'm feeling concerned, I think this is like a part of like mom world where it's like, I'm concerned about this with my kid. I'm concerned about that. And we talk to each other about it and we talk to our husbands about it and we like spend a lot of time feeling concerned, but we don't really talk to God about it. Like that's like worry all disguised up as concern. And that's been really helpful for me to like diagnose that in my own life. So I don't know if that might be helpful for you um, diagnosing that for yourself too. So here are some ways that control rears its ugly little head in my life and how it reveals the lies that I believe about God. Um, Not sleeping well freaks me out. Like, you know when you lay awake at night and you're like, I can't sleep, I can't sleep, and then you're like, how long has it been that I haven't been sleeping? And then you look and you're like, it's been five minutes. Oh my gosh, it's been five hours, and then you just can't sleep because then you're so worried about how you can't sleep, and it just like goes on and on. Um, For me, like I don't like not sleeping well, but that's because being tired makes me feel emotionally out of control. Um, Obviously, when we're tired, we are more short-tempered and just not mentally as sharp, and I hate that. I hate feeling like I'm emotionally out of control. And this reveals my desire to be in control of my emotions and not to invite God into that. Um, So what's true is that my tiredness isn't outside of God's love and interest. I think sometimes I'm really tempted to believe, like, oh, that's just a little thing. Like, just pull yourself together and deal with it. And um, that's not true. Like, God cares about that, and he wants to be invited into it. Um, 
God made me and he knows that I'm a person and that people become weary and he wants to carry me and empower me through a bad night's sleep. Um, When Jesus was tired, was on earth, he was tired. So he knows how it is to be me and he knows what he can give me to help me with that. Additionally, I'm very concerned slash worried um, about my daughter's peer interactions and social security. And I'm not talking about them getting a check once a month when they retire. Um, I don't want my kids to be like the cool kids, but I also don't want them to be excluded or lonely. So that leads me right past polite concern and to all-out worry and worst-case scenario thinking. Um, The truth is that God loves my daughters more than I do, and he knows what they need more than I do. Their biggest need isn't to be socially comfortable. Um, Rather, it's to grow closer to him, to see him as their rescuer, and to rely on him. Their peers are going to fail them. Aaron and I are going to fail them. Um, But Jesus is never going to fail them, ever. Also, there are certain struggles um, that my daughters have that alternately break my heart and drive me crazy, depending on the day or the circumstances. Um, I don't understand why God doesn't release them from some of these things or show up in ways that they can't ignore. Um, On bad days, it really shakes my faith and my knowledge and belief of God's goodness. The thing that's weird about that is that I do want them to struggle um, because I know that that's how we grow in our dependence on Jesus and how we see him as our rescuer on a day-to-day basis. But I want to be in control of the hardships that they have and when they experience them. I want those hardships for them on my terms, which is laughable at best and arrogantly prideful at worst. Um, What's true about that is that God is working when I can't see it. Um, He doesn't waste our trials and struggles. Like, he doesn't waste mine, and I know he doesn't waste theirs. Um, He he redeems our trials and struggles, and he uses them. Um, And he wants the hearts of my daughters more than I want him to have their hearts. And he can use whatever means he deems best to reach their hearts and grow their dependence on him. Like, he doesn't need um, to work through my grid for that. Um, I also like a good plan. As as a firstborn, I would like that plan to be one that I'm the boss of, of course. (laughs) But I like a good plan. I like a list of activities to do in the summer. I like, like, the chore wheel, you know, that I can put on my fridge with, like, the jobs on the outside and on the inside. There's the name, and then you, like, twist it, and it's like, oh, look who's unloading the dishwasher this week. Like, I like those. I like knowing what to expect. But in a surprising turn of events, um, because I'm a defeated perfectionist, I'm not good at keeping up with the plans that I make. Like, I start out real strong. Um, But I like the idea of plans because plans keep uncertainty at bay. Um, Don't get me wrong, the world needs planners. We can't all just be running around like crazy people. Um, But plans aren't meant to be my savior. The truth is that God's plans are better than mine, and his ways are better than my ways. The security of a plan, especially my lame plans, are at best an illusion. Um, Jesus is actually more in the business of messing up our plans for his good purpose than staying in line with what I think is best. 
Um, lastly, and possibly the biggest one, is that I love peace and harmony in our house. I love, love, double love it. I like kind talking and understanding and thankfulness. I like peaceful, creative playing. I love reading books and doing crafts and making cookies and playing games that don't make people cry or fight. Um, I like laughing together (laughs) and being silly. Um, Now, if you've met my daughters, you know that they are lovely. They are funny and clever and creative and responsible and busy and fun. Uh, But believe it or not, there are a lot of feelings and personalities. And sometimes those feelings and personalities don't intersect in the most life-giving way um, all the time. Um, (laughs) And I struggle with that a lot. Um, I am not in control of their attitudes or motives or tones of voice. And that is one of the hardest things for me. I can't manipulate them into feeling bad because I've tried. And I can't. Um, And that's not good anyway. That's unhealthy. Um, But the thing that's hard is that I functionally don't believe that God is at work in the midst of, like, our day-to-day messiness. Um, But what's true is that he is at work in the lives and hearts of my daughters in spite of me and my ridiculous attempts at control in the midst of the messiness. Um, God doesn't need pretty Instagram-worthy circumstances to be at work. What's um, truly beautiful is what he does with the mess that we bring to him. You know, all the lies that I believe and um, the truths that I need to replace them with don't improve in a measured-out, linear manner. I would like it if it was like, even though I don't really like math, but like, let's say I did, if it was like a math equation, like, this equals this equals this. Good job. And then this, like, that's just not how it is in real life. Um, It takes consistently speaking the gospel to myself and being quick to repent and switch my dependence from myself to my dependence on God. I do want to point out, though, that in and of themselves, none of those things that I like are bad. There's obviously nothing wrong with, like, having a good night's sleep or wanting your kids to be happy and secure or having a good plan or pursuing peace and harmony in your home. Nothing's wrong with those things. The problem arises when I turn those good things into little G-gods and when the disruption of those things make me want to trust myself more than I trust God, or when I stop inviting him into those areas because I think I can take care of it better than he can. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Um, This underlying truth has been so good for my heart in these past several weeks. I think sometimes we're like, oh, what what is God calling calling you towards? And I think it's easy to think like, it's this, oh, I'm, I'm a vocational missionary, and like God's calling me to this, or that God only calls us to really big things. But um, for me, what God is calling me to is being a mom who wants to point her kids to Jesus. And he's calling me to, like, join Jesus in what he's doing to advance the gospel in our community. Like, those, those aren't flashy, big, fancy things. Um, but God's, that's what God's calling me to, and he's going to do it. He's faithful, and he's trustworthy. And his control over my life and the lives of the people in my family and the people around me is just infinitely better. So I will pass off to Caitlin. Hello. Um, my name is Caitlin Tisver, and I am also a small group leader here with my husband, Dustin. Um, and my hope this morning as I talk about power is that this talk would have a lot of power and influence over everyone here. 
And I want you to think that, man, she is really cool. I want to be just like her. So I don't know if this talk will be that type of talk because you're going to see my heart. But, you know, come meet me later and then you'll want to be like me. So um, so last summer, the ladies in our small group had read a book called Gospel Fluency Together. And it was through that book and conversations that um, I had with some people in our small group that God started really bringing up the fact of where I'd find my true identity, which is having power over people instead of finding my identity in Christ. Um, So I like to try to find my identity and having power and influence not over my own decisions, but also over all of your decisions. Um, And I believe the lie that I'm always right and that I know what's best for myself and those around me and that my opinions matter more than any of yours. Um, And if you've ever heard or taken the Myers-Briggs personality test, you'll quickly see that I'm classified as a very strong ESTJ. Um, And my husband, Dustin, and I like to read articles about how different situations affect different personalities. Um, So one of those articles that we read talked about each personality's hell. Um, And hell for my personality type, ESTJ, is when an incredibly impractical person is put in charge of all of my major life decisions, and I have to do whatever they say, and I'm powerless to argue or reason with them. And that is seriously held to me. Um, This has been true and proved recently in a situation at work um, that I want to share with you and how God has been using that to show me where my identity um, really lies and how I've been growing in the gospel through that. So um, I want to first say that I really love my job and the people I work with, including Nikki. Um, However, the position I currently hold as an advisor does not allow me much power over decisions being made, um, which has been a true struggle for me. Um, It has been hard to sit back and watch um, our office undergo a lot of changes within this last year, operating under a new model, um, and watching decisions being made for our advising staff that I think are inefficient and will lead to wrong solutions, um, which some of those decisions have proven to be that way. Um, And it only brings me anger thinking, oh, this wouldn't have happened if they would have taken my advice or if my ideas weren't taken so lightly, or if I wasn't working under foolish leaders who don't really understand my person or my responsibilities. Um, so this anger has led to a lot of complaining and gossiping amongst my coworkers, as well as speaking my mind a little bit too much in meetings, because again, I want to have influence over them. Um, but all of this is because deep in, down in my heart, I was angry because my advice wasn't being taken and my opinions didn't matter, and I just felt powerless. Um, So over time, I have realized how much of an effect that this has been having on me. So I would try to fix it by not complaining as much or still speaking my mind in meetings, but saying it in a nicer way. Um, But all that did was change my outward appearance. It wasn't really changing the full root problem, which was my heart. Um, So in my heart, I was still feeling anger inside, like my life was out of control, and I still had a lot of bitterness and frustration that would bubble up inside um, towards leadership. Um, But the truth is that Christ's work on the cross can change me and continue to change me. I don't have to try to figure out how to change the outward appearance. So he's been reminding me that Jesus came into this world in order to serve me and die for me while I was being foolish. So therefore, I can serve the leaders that I feel like are being foolish or making foolish decisions. Um, He's reminded me that I don't need to have control or power over mine and others' decisions, that he's already shown his power and authority by having power over death on the cross. And when I lose my patience with those making decisions for me, I can remember that God is not a slow God. He is a patient God. Um, He didn't want me to perish, but he led me to repentance. 
so I can have patience with others. So he's just continually changing my heart as he reminds me of these truths. Um, And not to say that I have mastered this at all. I definitely still struggle with having control over my life, but um, I'm learning that that's not really what's bringing me true joy. And I can see how the gospel truths that are entering my mind sooner are allowing me to not dwell on sinful thoughts I have towards people who may be above me. Um, So all these situations of feeling anger and impatient really have no eternal meaning. What has eternal meaning is the impact that I have and how I respond to the leaders that God has put in front of me at work. Um, And I can respond with grace when those solutions aren't efficient because God has been so gracious to me. And I don't have to be in control and know everything because God's in control and knows the whole picture. Um, so I think the the true thing that's changing, though, is not just these ideas, but um, I don't have to show more grace and truth because God's shown me grace and truth. But I'm, the gospel allows me to show more grace and patience. Um, the gospel doesn't help me stop complaining. It allows me to see the good in others. So it doesn't just help stop your impatience or your... Um, your control, it helps you see the good in others and allows you to be patient and gracious. Um, so I hope that this was encouraging to you. Um, you know, to be honest, I wouldn't have, God can show you these things and reveal these things in your heart alone, but he really does use community to help bring this stuff out of you too. And so um, we weren't called to live it alone. We are called to live in community. So I just hope that um, this is encouraging to you to talk with people in your small group, to um, ask for prayer, to help them dig out the ugly in your heart and allow the gospel truths to to sink in and be vulnerable. So um, that's what our community is for, is to walk alongside us and allowing us to grow in the gospel. So So I hope you heard loud and clear this morning that the gospel is is good news in the everyday things of life. The gospel is good news for eternity and our salvation, and it's also good news for the everyday. And it's the foundation of all of our spiritual growth, not just some of it, all of it. So the gospel isn't something that just gets you in the front door through faith, which it does. The gospel is how we live our whole lives. So that's what we mean in our vision when we say growing in the gospel. And I also hope you saw today that understanding source idols helps us make sense of how we need to grow. Because sometimes understanding uh, what we're struggling with can just sometimes be really confusing and just like, how do we grow? And I think understanding source idols is also good for community in a local church, including here at River City, because it helps us see that we're just all pretty jacked up and we just are, are all in need of the gospel. So different people struggle with different stuff, but we all need the same solution, which is the gospel. So there's no room for self-righteousness here. That's why you can just take out, relax and take off the mask and authentically follow him in the midst of community. And God isn't, and just hear me loud and clear, God isn't calling you to wallow in your shame. He's calling you to come to him in your brokenness and messiness and find your identity in him and respond to him. And that's because God loves you. Not the fake you or the you that you're pretending to be or the you that you're trying to become. No, he loves you. And he's calling you to come to him and find your identity in him. And you're being being invited to respond to him. That's why we do communion here at River City. So communion symbolizes the gospel. The bread symbolizes his body. The juice symbolizes his blood. 
which were broken and shed for you. So in communion, we respond to him by remembering him and choosing to follow him as our forgiver and our leader. Communion is not about cleaning up the mess in your life. It's about remembering him as the one who you're going to follow through the mess. So if Jesus is your forgiver and leader, we just invite you to take communion this morning. So the two stations in the back, the worship team is going to lead us through three songs. You can go on up whenever you're ready during any, any of those three songs. And you don't need to be a member here to take communion. You only, communion, you'd only need to belong to Jesus. Let's pray.